I want to think briefly about uh, the Lord's Supper as a, a means of grace. And there are many places we can go to uh, see from the scriptures that this is indeed the case, but probably verse 16 of our text is maybe the most clear. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation or communion in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation or communion in the body of Christ? So so that word that the ESV translates participation, that's where we get the term communion from. It, It could mean fellowship or communion or participation. And I would argue that this teaches us about the nature of the Lord's Supper. It reminds us that in the Supper there is something real and active going on in the present, in the here and the now. There is real communion, participation with our Lord Jesus. And that points us to the fact that it is a means of grace to us. In other words, it's something that God has instituted and uses to strengthen our faith in the Lord Jesus. And so I want us to think about that topic, but I want to first define what we mean by means of grace. I I grew up in a broadly evangelical church. I had never in my life heard this term, means of grace. What do we mean by that? Well, the Shorter Catechism, Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, question 88, I think, is helpful in this regard. It, It says, The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are His ordinances especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. Now, our God did not have to use means. He he didn't need to do that, but he chose to do that. And the means that he chose to use to build and strengthen his people are the word of God, especially the preaching of the word, along with the sacraments and prayer. Uh, Richard uh, Barcellus, in his book, The Lord's Supper, A Means of Grace, More Than a Memorial. Uh, That's the title of his book. But he has a more contemporary definition. Did I put that in your bulletin? Okay. Did I make it big enough so you can read it? Here's what he has to say. I define the means of grace as the delivery systems God has instituted to bring grace. That is, spiritual power, spiritual change, spiritual help, spiritual fortitude, spiritual blessings to needy souls on earth. Grace comes from our Father through the Son, by the Spirit, ordinarily in conjunction with the ordained means. The means of grace are those conduits through which Christ alters, modifies, adjusts, changes, transforms, and develops souls on earth. The means of grace, then, are God's delivery systems through which that which was acquired for us gets distributed or delivered to or in us. So I think that's a, that's a good summary, a good modern summary, where the Lord didn't need to use these means, but these are the means that he chose. 
There's nothing magical about them. There's nothing automatic about them. But these are the things that the Spirit works through. And when we approach them by faith, they are of great benefit to us. And the Scriptures teach us that when we come to the Lord's table, what we just did this morning, that there is a real fellowship or communion between Christ and us, His people. The Lord's table does not save us, but approached in faith, it can be a powerful means to sanctify us. Like the Word of God preached, it is a means through which grace comes to us from Christ. So let's, let's think about, as we think about the Lord's Supper as a means of grace, let's think about the other views. And some of you may be familiar with these, but I think it's it may be helpful to consider how the church looked at the Lord's Supper and to consider the biblical merits of, of these views. Um, many of you are, are aware of the Roman Catholic view of a transubstantiation. Uh, and that is the view that the bread and the wine actually become the body and blood of Jesus. And if you are a former Roman Catholic or if you... Uh, know of, of this practice. Uh, under this view, they believe anyone who partakes the bread partakes of the bread and wine, regardless of whether they eat in faith or not, that they still feed on Christ. For, for this, according to this view, faith is not required because the elements really are the body and blood of Jesus. Now, it's, I think, fairly obvious that this view is not only not biblical, but it is um, it's heretical. Because while Jesus is with us always by His Spirit, His resurrected body is in heaven. And moreover, behind this Roman Catholic view is a, is a blasphemous assumption that the sacrifice of Christ on the cross was not enough. Because in the Roman Catholic Mass, they believe it was necessary for Christ's body and blood to come to earth again and for Him to be sacrificed over and over and over again. It's a denial of the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ on the cross. And that's what we are taught in the book of Hebrews, where he, the writer emphasizes the sufficiency of Christ final sacrifice. He says Christ offered himself once, a sufficient sacrifice never to be repeated. Now we, if I can bring this back around to what we thought about in the first sermon this morning, uh, we thought about with, with the bread and the Passover feast, we are to take and we are to eat. And that's symbolic of an act of faith on our part, uh, taking and by faith feeding upon Jesus Christ. And I don't think it's any coincidence that in the Roman Catholic Mass, the people don't touch the bread. They don't take. They, they are passive. They simply open their mouth and it's placed there for them. So I think that the biblical view is that faith is required. So what... What were the answers to this unbiblical, uh, borderline, well not borderline, it is a blasphemous view. The second was what is called consubstantiation. And this is the view uh, that was taught by Martin Luther. Uh, Luther believed that 
when Jesus was glorified, that somehow his physical body became omnipresent. Think about that for a moment. Can Jesus' physical body be omnipresent? Luther believed this. He believed that Christ's body was now everywhere, but it was especially present in the communion bread. According to Luther, when Jesus held up the bread and said, this is my body, what he meant was, well, yes, this is still bread, but my body is still in, with, under any preposition you can think of, around the bread. Now, Luther, to his credit, recognized that the Roman Catholic view was not biblical. But the problem with Luther's view was that Jesus, in his glorified body, is in heaven. And that is an important thing for us, for us to be comforted, to know we have a high priest in heaven right now, the God-man who still dons our flesh. When Stephen was martyred, he looked into heaven, and what did he see? He saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And many other verses, I think, in the Bible tell us that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. And so Luther's view doesn't really provide a, a true biblical answer. And another attempted answer to the, the wrong Roman Catholic view was uh, espoused by the Swiss theologian Ulrich Zwingli. And Zwingli taught what came to be known as the memorialist view. And uh, I think it's safe to say this is probably the, the predominant view held in the American evangelical church today. Zwingli believed that the bread and wine, that they were mere memorials. Uh, They pointed back to Christ's death. And again, to Zwingli's credit, he avoided the errors of consubstantiation and transubstantiation. But according to Zwingli, the bread and the wine, they were bare symbols. And when Jesus said, this is my body, what he meant was this represents my body. Now this gets very close to the truth because the bread and the wine are not the actual body and blood of Jesus, but they do indeed represent the body and blood of Jesus. I think what we could say about this view is it is partially correct because there is a memorialist aspect to the Lord's Supper. We saw it with Uh, The Passover feast, that bread of affliction, was that they might remember. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And so this view is to be commended because it is partially correct. But our issue with it, and I think what the Bible teaches, is that it does not go far enough. Because the Bible teaches us that in the Lord's Supper that we do indeed have real communion with Jesus. And if we just think about the titles, there are three titles that appear uh, for the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11. We find communion, uh, the Lord's table, and the Lord's Supper. And I think we could argue, if we, we had time, we can go eat, and into each of those titles, and I think they would 
convey to us that the Lord's Supper is more than just remembering something in the past. All of them communicate to us that the Lord's Supper is a real means of grace. And this was the view that uh, was taught by John Calvin. It was taught by the Westminster Assembly, uh, by the Heidelberg and Belgic Confessions, that the Lord's Supper is a real means of grace to the church. Um, According to this view, which again we believe to be the biblical view, The bread and wine represent the body and blood of Jesus. They don't in any way become the literal flesh and blood of of the Lord. We don't literally chew on Jesus' flesh or drink his blood literally. But when we partake of the Lord's Supper, the Holy Spirit makes these elements not just symbols, but real means for our spiritual nourishment. They, they really and truly strengthen our faith in Jesus. And so when we, we talk about feeding upon Christ in the Lord's Supper, we're, we're thinking of it in terms of feeding upon Him spiritually, by faith. Here's what uh, Westminster Confession of Faith 29.7 says. And again, remember behind this, behind the statements here, are those unbiblical views of transubstantiation and consubstantiation. It says, Worthy receivers, outwardly partaking of the visible elements in this sacrament, do then also inwardly, by faith, really and indeed, yet not carnally and corporally, not literally, but spiritually receive and feed upon Christ crucified and all the benefits of his death. Now, in that, in that short articulation there, it, it corrects both the, the errors of transubstantiation and consubstantiation. We're not literally feeding on the blood of Christ. It's, it's by faith, it's spiritually, it's inwardly, but it also corrects the memorialist view that doesn't go far enough. It says, by faith, really and indeed. In other words, there's something real going on here. It's more than a memorial. And the Holy Spirit, I think, does this in a way that, to a degree, is beyond our understanding. The benefit is not through Jesus coming down to earth, but through our mystically going up into heaven by the power of the Spirit and being where Jesus is. The the New Testament teaches us that our union with Christ is so real and it's so significant that there is a genuine sense that we are where Christ is. Uh, Ephesians 2, 4-6 talks about how we are now seated with Christ in the heavenlies. Uh, Hebrews 12 says that when we come to worship, we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to Jesus. We have come to his sprinkled blood. And so by virtue of our union with Jesus, by the Holy Spirit's work, we can have communion with the total person of Jesus, including his body, which was broken, and his blood that was shed for our salvation. 
I want us to think about this as well as, as sort of a, a, a way to underline that the memorialist view, that popular view today, that it doesn't go far enough. As we begin our study on the sacraments, we talked about the sacraments in general, we talked about baptism, but we've underlined again and again that the sacraments are a visual picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what is the gospel? Is the gospel that Jesus has just done something for us in the past? Or is it that, yes, he has done something for us in the past, he has died for our sins in the past, but he continues to be with us in the present, and he has prepared for us a glorious future. I, I would submit to you that the view of the Lord's Supper as a means of grace reflects that gospel truth. The memorialist view just looks back to something that happened a long time ago. But the, 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 the gospel is the good news that Jesus is, is still with us. His blood is still sufficient for the forgiveness of our sins. He will never leave us or forsake us. And that one day he will come again for us, that where he is, we will be also. The Lord's Supper reflects this view. It's a it's a more robust view. It's a, it's a clearer gospel picture. And perhaps that's a sermon for another time, but you know, this Lord's Supper indeed, it calls us to look back and remember the final sacrifice of Jesus. But it points us to the present where we have real communion with him. And he's here renewing his covenant and says, I know you've sinned. I know you have failed, but I am with you always to the end of the age. But it also points us forward because the, the consummation of the kingdom of God is pictured in Revelation in the same images that we took part in today. The marriage supper of the Lamb, a table prepared for us. And so it points us to the future that awaits us as well. And so the Lord's Supper is indeed a means of grace, and I hope that we can not think of that as a sort of an abstract theological term, but come to see the great blessing in it and to let it help us benefit from it. And that is why that you know, various reform confessions and reform theologians have always, you know, underlined that that the sacraments should be accompanied by the preaching of the word. I think when we started our study on the sacraments, I pointed out that this, this very arrangement of the pulpit being here and a table being below the pulpit, that, that, that's, that's been around since the Reformation. And there's a reason for that. Because the sacraments are under the Word of God. In other words, the Word of God is always to inform our understanding of the sacraments. Uh, that... That the sacraments can't be means of grace if we don't know about that grace. And so the word of God informs our understanding and it helps us then with the eyes of faith to come and to dine with our Savior Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your table, a table that you have prepared before us in the presence of our enemies.
Lord, we thank you that you know how weak we are. You know how sinful we are. You know how quickly we lose sight of you and your infinite grace towards us. And so we thank you for these visual aids. We thank you for you drawing near to us and us having real communion with you at this table. And Lord, as we now leave this place, having come into your presence, having dined with you, Lord, would you transform us, enable us to live for you, enable us to see the glory of Jesus, and Lord, to live with confidence knowing that you will never leave us or forsake us. Lord, we pray these things in your name and for your glory alone. Amen.